Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. It is Wednesday, favorite day of the week, favorite time of the day, because Front Row Knowles is here. How are you, Keith? I'm doing well, Tommy. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. we got a good show ahead, as always. We're getting to really busy time as spring sports wrap up, or the championship time, if you will, with soccer and golf and track and field and softball and baseball and all that. We'll focus more on baseball today than we have of late. The FSU pitching coach, Jimmy Bellinger, will join us here shortly. And what a pitching staff this Florida State team has. Uh, unfortunately, Mike Martin Jr. has had to call on those pitchers to be hitters as well. That's kind of been the way the season's gone. <laughs> I'm wondering if uh, Coach Bellinger will take credit for any of the hits that they've gotten. Well, he should take the credit because I know that he's also probably biting his nails when he's seeing his Friday night starter trying to leg out a double. You know what I mean? So Understood. There's, some, there's some consternation that goes with that. Obviously, the big story from in Florida State circles over the last week since we last got together, Keith, is the NFL draft. Not so much who got drafted, but but who didn't. And since everybody else has opined about this, I'll just start by saying the fact that Terry didn't get drafted really didn't surprise me very much at all. But the fact that Wilson didn't get drafted, that was a shock to me. Now, I knew his stock would be lower, but the fact he didn't get drafted at all, that, that was a surprise. You know, I've read a couple of articles. Obviously, you know, we weren't there. Uh, we don't know what went on. Uh, but I think the general consensus, right, wrong, or indifferent, was number one, work ethic. Not so much, you know, what he did when he was on the field during the game, but what he did to prepare himself is was represented by his very poor performance in pro day. Uh, and questions about the severity, not the legitimacy, but the severity of the injuries that had ended both of the prior seasons with his hand and then I guess his leg, hamstring, whatever it was. And, you know, the one thing that the professional folks value more than anything else, just because the nature of competitive sports at that level is your work ethic and your, I mean, that's the one thing you talk to kids you talk to Bowlware, you talk to Simon, you talk to guys that are around Tallahassee that had NFL careers, and they will tell you it's more about the off the field and off season than it is on the field during the season. Because once you get there, everybody's talented. It's a question, did you get the maximum out of your talent? And uh, I hate that for Marvin, but that's the reality. And I don't know how true those uh, observations are, in fact, but they're out there. 
and uh, we'll just see what happens from there. Obviously, he was still coveted. He got scooped up quickly as an undrafted free agent by the Browns, and and I wish him the best. There also was the way he handled the situation when he questioned Coach Norvell publicly on Twitter, and we talked about that at the time. And there's a lesson there, whether it's football, whatever your job is. I don't think anybody's boss really appreciates getting called out like that. And so how much that played in, I don't know. I think, Keith, you and I have been around it enough to know that if you got talent and they like what they're seeing, that, that there's – there's a lot of wiggle room there and the, the rest of it can be excused, but if you they can if turn a little bit of, yeah, they can turn a little bit of a blind eye to certain things. There's no question. Conversely, if you already have questions, uh, all of a sudden those question marks are in a larger font and they're bolded when, when they come across something like that, I, I would say with related to Terry, you know, you think of the Terry highlight tape and he's in the top five, I think in a lot of FSU receiving categories, just based on, the yardage he put up and the number of touchdowns, certainly in the top seven or so for receivers. And so the highlight tape looks good on the surface, but to me, what the tape also shows, not the, well, I I refer to him as a one trick pony. I mean, he was a nine route guy. He was, you know, he's not the best route runner. I think more than that, Keith, if it's first and second down and the ball wasn't going to him, watch the tape on those plays and see what he didn't do when he didn't make a block or we di- when he didn't even sell that it was maybe a pass to his side and, and took plays off. That, that shows up too. Uh, the eye in the sky never lies, and you're exactly right. I think technically the other two things that uh, and you've alluded to him is, number one, he has great speed, but he doesn't necessarily have great acceleration. So his ability to get in and out of, in and out of a cut you know, uh, is not coveted. And number two, he wouldn't, he ain't going over the middle, even though the ball's going to him. And uh, you, you're going to have to do that at the next level. Will he learn those things? Yeah. When you start getting a paycheck and then you're told if you don't do that or you don't improve on that, you will not get a paycheck. That becomes a great motivator. There's no question, but I'm with you. Uh, him not being drafted was not a terrible surprise was very disappointed for Marvin, wish, wish better for him. I'll say this. They both have enough athleticism to, at the very least, make a practice squad this year and collect checks. But they're, So they'll have enough of an opportunity to see, are they healthy? Is there the work ethic there? Uh, and to stick around for a little bit. From there, who knows? Because everybody's talented and we'll just see. The story that comes to mind for Terry, for me, and I talked about it at the time, it was the, let me get the years right, so it would have been 2019, I guess, in Gainesville. James Blackman is under pressure and throws a 50-yard pass that needed to be 48 yards to hit Terry. And so, in other words, he overthrew him. And so everybody was on Blackman for overthrowing him. But if you watch the play, which I did from my vantage point on the sideline, Terry slowed down on the route because he didn't, he didn't think Blackman was going to make the throw. So Blackman wore this, the headlines of, what in the world, this guy's overthrowing him again. And if you watch the play... Terry didn't do his job. And that's the kind of thing that comes back to bite him come draft time. Uh, the, the phrase that I've heard often, and it's an old phrase, uh, and our listeners are used to be bring, me bringing up old things, but receivers that instinctively throttle down when they don't think the ball's coming to them. And you'll hear segment coaches, wide receiver coaches, tight end coaches all the time talking about finish the route. Finish the route. Even if the ball has no chance coming to you, finish the route. 
do not throttle down because you never know. You just never know. Yeah, that's the one example that comes to mind on that front. Okay, so Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us. We'll get his draft reaction and also talk some recruiting. Florida State's picked up a big-time quarterback recruit here in the last week or so. That made a lot of headlines as well, so we'll discuss that with Pat. On the baseball front, Florida State and Notre Dame this weekend. And what's odd about this, Keith, is that Notre Dame is the number two team in the country. And it's also a little bit of a reunion in that two Tallahassee kids – in Mike Martin Jr. and Link Jarrett, both of whom grew up in Tallahassee. Uh, one went to McClay, I guess, and one went to Florida High, are the head coaches of the respective schools, and they were teammates at Florida State. So uh, there'll be time for them to renew their acquaintances uh, briefly before the series, and then they'll compete. Well, and you were also teammates with, with one Link Jarrett. What's that? I will forget that. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's clarify quickly. This was, I guess, when he had finished playing – he must have been done playing pro ball at that point. I don't even know if he was coaching, but it was before he broke into, into coaching. Link did some broadcasting, and I called some games with him on Sunshine Network. And ironically, as I think back, one series that we called for sure was the FSU-Notre Dame Super Regional at the end of the 2002 season, which is a series that Notre Dame won after FSU went into that series having won 25 in a row. And then Notre Dame comes to Tallahassee and stuns FSU, wins two out of three. But Link was a pro's pro then. Um, I'll share another anecdote about that later on in the program. But uh, he he was solid in broadcasting. You know, he could have done that any day of the week, but it was not a challenge to him. The the challenge was to get into coaching, which is where he is, and he's doing very well. So we'll talk more about that as the program moves along. Let us uh, step aside here, and and on the way out, I'll remind you folks uh, that – uh, if you're interested in teeing up that little white ball, give the uh, golf club at Summerbrook a call, 894-4653. Golf membership, they've got a lighted driving range, uh, Friday night lights until 10 every Friday out there, resort-style pool if you're uh, like me and you're not so much for chasing the white ball, uh, but you do enjoy cooling off and perhaps a refreshing beverage or a or, uh, few. Uh, they can take care of your needs there. That's the golf club at Summerbrook. We'll step aside, come back, and uh, dive back into FSU baseball right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Told you we're going to continue to talk Florida State baseball, and uh, we will do so right now as we're pleased to welcome to the program uh, Florida State assistant coach, pitching coach uh, Jimmy Bellinger, who joins us his second year with the program. Really still kind of feels like the first year after what happened a year ago. But, Coach, how are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, just getting these boys ready to go. we got a big weekend ahead and just uh... – doing our things that back end of the year so practices this time of year are just making sure guys are feeling good so just kind of at that point right now well one of the blessings you have is that uh you've you've got a wealth of arms so i let, let's begin there just as a starting point uh certainly when you go into a season that that can lead to some tough decisions and you're you probably have to narrow you know make some of those decisions as we get closer to the postseason in terms of who gets the key innings and and that sort of thing 
but uh, it, it's a better starting point when you have as many good arms as you do on this year's team, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, with everything with COVID last year, you know, you know, there's probably five or six guys that are on our staff that in a normal year with a normal draft wouldn't have been back. Um, so, you know, you know, COVID was in, in that sense of like building depth for the pitching staff for the next year was good. You know, we, we got a lot of guys back, but we uh, it's I mean, it's a good group, you know, even even the, 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 the young guys that are in the program, you know, they're coming along and they're throwing the ball well. And we just uh, it's it's been a, you know, we've been very lucky with with, you know, what we've had back and what guys have been able to do and staying healthy and everything. Coach, when you take a look at the stats as an outsider, the one thing that jumps out at me, and I'd like you to talk about, um, your guys don't walk a lot of folk. Uh, your, your instructions are to challenge the hitters, it would appear. Uh, but just talk about your overall philosophy and what you're asking your kids to do. I mean, you know, obviously any pitching coach there is, you know, you want to throw strikes, you know, that's the, that's the key. But, you know, I've kind of taken what I've done in the past here, you know, at different stops and kind of, adopted a lot of what they've done here in the past you know that you know coach bell and uh you know an 11 and, and meet those guys before i had gotten here they you know they had a saying for the pitchers and it's in our bullpen and it says aaa 34k and it means any pitch anytime anywhere three pitches for strikes and uh you know that's that's what we preach you know just you know and we train that way from the time they get here in the fall so you know when you know, they're throwing live batting practice in the fall. You know, we're not just sitting there cruising fastballs in there. We're training our guys to throw 2-0 change-ups and 3-1 change-ups and 2-0 breaking balls and fastballs in. And and I think, you know, just the way that we train the entire year, you know, kind of shows up. You know, so when we get to, you know, when, you know, some there's been times in my career where I've said, okay, let's just throw fastballs in the fall and get fastball command. And then all of a sudden you get to the spring and you're wanting to pitch a different way or you have to pitch a different way and you haven't trained that way. And maybe guys aren't prepared to do that. And uh, so, I, you know, I think it's just, you know, just the, the culture that's been here for a long time of, of doing those things. You're, let's start uh, at the obvious point, I guess, here. Your Friday night ace, Parker Messick. He just, he's fun to watch pitch on the hill. And I know he's tremendously talented. Uh, I don't know him personally, but he, it, it seems like he's got sort of a bulldog mentality out there. He's, he's certainly emotional. Uh, tell us a little bit about him and just why he's so effective. He's just competitiveness is is as as high as you're going to get. I mean, he just he he wills himself to win games. You know, he, there's been a lot of times out this year where he hasn't really had his best stuff at all. You know, I, I'd even argue that we haven't seen his best stuff yet. You know, on the mound, just stuff wise. But he just has that ability where he just will not let the other team beat him, you know, and that's something you don't really teach. And I think he's had that for a long time, you know, the way he was in high school. And um, But he's just super, super competitive. Uh, if you met him off the field, you would not think that. I mean, he's about as nice of a guy off the field as you're going to get. But when he gets in between those two lines, I mean, he's he becomes a different animal. Um but, you know, that's that's his biggest, you know, his best trade is just his his will to win games. Your bullpen has been quite reliable as well. You mentioned uh, the fact that you've got some additional arms, but you've got some resources there that, uh, you know, have come in and performed quite well in most cases. Yeah, we're fortunate. We can do a lot of different things out of the bullpen. You know, we can match it up with breaking balls. We can match it up with velocity, depending on what we feel like the hitter can't do. So, uh, we're just, we're fortunate where we can do, you know, a lot of different things and create matchup problems for an offense. 
what's the you know I, I I've as it's worked out I've been to several Sunday games this year and I, and and some of them Connor has struggled a little bit and uh, you know even this last Sunday. I think they hit a home run in the first inning, but then he winds up being a national player of the week because he struck out 13 or whatever the total was. So I, I imagine he's staying there, but really what I'm driving at is with just one more midweek series left, I think what's going to become a Carson Montgomery. I mean, does, does he become more of a middle relief guy or, or how will you guys play that as you get into the postseason? Well, if we, you know, if we're going to, if we go deep into the ACC tournament, you're going to have to play that fourth game in the ACC tournament to win the whole thing. So he'd be right in the mix there. Um, you know, and then when you get to a regional, uh, you know, it's, if you, you know, if you have to come out of the loser's bracket, you're going to have to play four games. So you actually have to play, I think five games, you know, that that's obviously tough to come out of the loser's bracket. So you're going to need them there. But if everything went perfect in a regional, yeah, he'd be in that probably middle relief role. Like, uh, you know, if, you know, if we got a poor start out of one of those guys, he'd be able to kind of jump in and kind of bridge the gap, you know, to the back end of our bullpen. He'd put, you know, be in that type of role. Does Connor, I would imagine one of the pluses for Connor is just that he brings the experience to the table in the same way that, uh, you know, I mean, you're pitching Scalara a lot out of the pen and, and obviously Chase Haney. I mean, those guys have been out there in big situations an awful lot. Yeah, there's just the comfort and you just you feel like you know what you're going to get at him every time. You know, I, I, you know, some, you know, I don't feel like, you know, Connor, when he goes out there, I don't expect him to go six shutout every time. But if he can, you know, with the way our team is, if he can go five and give up two and do what he does, I mean, we should win a lot of baseball games when he does that. Jimmy, longtime Florida State fans, when they talk about the pitching staff, they would look at, at what Florida's done. And, of course, you were at Kentucky. You saw very clearly what Vanderbilt's done with the big arms. And all of a sudden, it seems like there's a lot of guys with big arms now. What, what if anything, do you think happened at the high school level in the last few years that, you know, have allowed these kids to come in and, and be throwing 90-plus as they get here as freshmen? These guys are stronger. You know, the training for guys is better. Um, you know, there's so much data now, like on just, you know, how, how you, you know, how you're supposed to move properly. And um, just, I think, you know, guys are just, like I said, physically stronger and just have a lot more uh, resources at their hands to improve, you know? So when they get here, it's, you know, a lot of them have already have, they've, you know, been in, you know, strength programs already and, they got personal pitching coaches. They, you know, they are, have an understanding of data and all that stuff. So, you know, they're just a little bit more advanced when they, they show up on campus. We talk in football about you, you really can't coach speed, and in basketball you can't coach height. It's probably pretty nice to get them in, even though they're raw, but to get them in with that type of arm talent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's I like guys. I like guys that throw hard and that throw strikes. I tell our coach Metcalf that all the time when he's recruiting. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one piece of the puzzle, you know what I mean? But there's been, you know, obviously plenty of times where you got a guy who throws a ton of, you know, throws really hard, but can't find the zone. Those guys are hard to, you know, those guys are hard to use too. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, You're talking about data and metrics and all that. What, what are the numbers and the video? What do they show you about this Notre Dame club? That's uh, obviously very highly ranked that you're going to, and I realize uh, you're traveling tomorrow and you'll still be looking at tape, but. Uh, tell us about their lineup and the challenges, you know, your, your, your pitching staff will have. They just do a lot of different things. You know, they, they can bunt, they can hit and run. They'll steal some bases. Uh, they don't strike out all that much. So they're just, they have a lot of older hitters in their lineup who've, you know, been through the ACC 
uh, you know, some for this is going to be their fifth year through it, you know, so they just got a lot of older guys who know how to work at bats and, and uh, they're just tough and competitive. You know, that's, you know, it's not a lineup where, you know, I felt like, you know, it's, you know, Wake Forest where it's going to be, you know, they, I felt like Wake Forest lineup, they had like eight guys who can hit the ball to the ballpark. Uh, you know, it's not one of those lineups, but it's a lineup that can beat you if, you know, if you don't throw strikes they'll hurt you. If you can't get out some bunts, they'll hurt you. If you're not going to control the running game, they'll hurt you. Uh, they could just do a lot of different things. Now, because, because Link's the coach there, obviously you're going to instruct your kids uh, and meet will instruct the team to take it easy. We want to make sure the Florida State guy <laughs> looks good. Uh, there'll be no added pressure to the fact that uh, he, he graduated from Florida State, I'm sure. No doubt. It's the roommate battle, too. Meet and him were roommates in college, so we got, uh, we got the roommate battle going. <laughs> um hey let me ask you this question you know you uh, i'm thinking about matthew nelson and there's been so much talk about his his offense and what he's done and uh, and i think his defense has been tremendous I, I describe a little bit about how he handles this staff i mean he's like we've talked about he's got a mix of veterans and some younger guys but I, it's hard for me to say that he's under the radar or maybe that's not, that's not fair for FSU fans or college baseball aficionados, but he's not a household name yet. You look at the year he's having, it's just off the charts. Yeah. He's, he just, it's consistency. You know, you're getting out of him. He just, the way he receives, the way he blocks. I mean, when I first got into coaching, I heard 11 use a quote one time and it's always stuck with me. And he, he said that if you have, Good catching with great pitching, you're going to have good pitching. But if you have good pitching with great catching, you have the opportunity to have great pitching. And I think, you know, he's, you know, the, obviously the centerpiece and, you know, why we've been able to throw the ball, ball well to this point in the year, you know. Um, you know, he, he just, what, what he's able to do, our guys are confident when we need a strikeout and we need to bury a breaking ball. Our guys are confident to throw the ball back there because they know he's going to block it. You know, there's there's got to be a comfort level with the pitchers. They can't have doubt in the back of their mind that it's going to get by the, you know, the catcher and a run's going to score. Um, so he's just the consistency he brings every single day, you know, in the bullpen and, you know, how he is, his personalities with our guys. He does a good job of knowing when to put their arm around the guy, when to, you know, get on him a little bit. He just, you know, he's does what you would think he would do, you know. Jimmy, not revealing any secrets, but uh, now that you're getting towards the, the latter third of the season and getting ready for the postseason, who's some of the one or two or three of your young kids that have continued to impress? They may not have gotten a bunch of action, but you're going to lean on them and not be scared to bring them in, and maybe Florida State fans just aren't as familiar with them. I think you saw this week, uh, you know, with Clayton Kukowski being out for a week, you know, Ross Dunn stepped up in that role, and, and he – He's got a special arm, man. He, uh, I mean, he's been up to 97 miles an hour from the left side, and his command just keeps getting better. And he was fantastic against Stetson, and then he was fantastic on Sunday. So I think you're going to see him, you know, pitching some big spots. Um, Andrew Armstrong is another guy, a, a little left-hander who's just got a low slot. He's just really tough on lefties, and he's got a fantastic pickoff move. Uh, he looks like he's 13 years old. He's like 140 pounds soaking wet, but he's got a really good arm. And then, you know, another guy I would say is like Brandon Walker. He's not a young guy, but, you know, he's a you know a local guy who just, you know, we just have so many older righties in the pen that do different things that he really hasn't had as many opportunities as maybe he would in a normal year or, you know, the role he would probably have next year. But, you know, I, I just the way 
Brandon's going about his work and the way he's he does a really he's done a great job to this point with runners on base when we bring him in with runners on base and I can see him you know he'll be a guy who you know, we'll lean on a little bit moving forward we'll wrap things up here momentarily we're talking with Jimmy Bellinger the pitching coach for for Florida State you know you're talking about Link and and Meat being roommates uh how did you get connected with with Mike Jr. just on the recruiting road or where did you guys first uh, cross paths yeah, you know, when I coached at Maryland, we were still in the league. So I got to know, you know, you know, playing against Florida State coming here and in uh, our last year in the ACC, we had some success here. And I think we, we beat them here one time and then we beat them in the ACC tournament. We beat Florida State in the ACC tournament in 14. Um, so, you know, just playing against them and then, yeah, the, the road, you know, on the road recruiting and just, you know, I'm friends with Chris Hart who's obviously an alumnus here and you know some other guys and um yeah it just it worked out you know uh, you know I didn't me and me weren't like I didn't know him like personally but we knew of each other so it, it, it kind of worked out through people through Coach Bell I mean Coach Bell helped um you know facilitate it and Chris Hart and some other guys and Lat, oh go ahead Keith no you're up you're up no I was just gonna say is you know going back to you got a couple of guys that that you that meets had to use in the lineup as you know to get the offense going too in, in Davis and Parker. I'm just curious, uh, you know, a that's tough to do, but but now you're splitting time because you got to focus on your pitching and your mechanics. And I know you don't throw every day, but I don't know that you get as much time swinging the bat as as what a hitter does as well. So how do you balance that and uh, make sure that you're not too nervous? You know, when one of them is trying to stretch a single into a double out there, knowing you know them, you need them on the rubber. <laughs> no, well. With Davis and Parker, it's pretty easy because they're not playing a position. Um, you know, they, they they can get their swings in. You know, I'll they, their priority is with me every day. So they'll do every single everything they got to do with me, and then when they're done with me, they usually pop in a BP group and and get some swings in. Um, the guy that it's a challenge for that is is Wyatt Kroll, who um, who's been playing center field for us. You know, he's one of he's one of those other guys. You know, that we talked about a young guy that's gonna maybe see some innings down the stretch. I mean, he's, I think he's done like 10 innings for us this year, but it's a really good left-handed arm. And uh, we didn't bring him in as a two-way guy. He's just one of the most athletic guys on our team, but his is a little bit more of a challenge uh, where, he, you know, he's got to do defensive work with, with T Holt um, and then obviously hit. So a lot of those times with him, he'll just do everything with me first, you know, while he's, he's at his, you know, his freshest. He'll come, he'll get his throwing in with me, his arm carrying with me. If he's got a bullpen, we'll do that. And then on days he'll throw pens. He won't do any throwing in the outfield. He'll just do all skill work out there, and then, you know, then go to hit from there. So we make it work. I mean, they've, you know, they've had a, a slew of them here of, of two way guys. So it's it's uh, it's not as difficult as you may see as it may seem. But I mean, there's always in the back of my mind as far as like guys getting hurt in the game. I mean, I mean they can get hurt running on a three one cover. You know what I mean? Getting over on first base. It's just. Hope that they're, you know, they're prepared enough, their bodies are in good enough shape where they should be able to handle just fine. Coach, we appreciate your time and uh, congrats on the success you're having. I mean, we didn't even point out that, uh, you know, Florida State's near the top uh, in lots of uh, pitching categories this year. So enjoy it. This is this is when college baseball gets fun, too. The weather warms up and, uh, and so does the action on the field. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Jimmy Ballinger, pitching coach from Florida State on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. We'll take a break and come back with more Front Row Knowles in a moment.
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. It is time to uh, say hello to our Osceola insider. Patrick Burnham joins us this week via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hey, Pat, how are you? Great, guys. Always good to be with you, and thanks for having me back. We've got a lot of topics uh, to discuss, generally football-related, but uh, rather than starting with the guys who uh, either heard or didn't hear their name called in the NFL draft, let's let's start with guys that are hoping to hear their name down the road, uh, like a guy like A.J. Duffy is a, you know, a headliner, is a quarterback, highly rated. Uh, that's, that's kind of the biggest recruiting news, I think, of the last week or 10 days. Tell us about what Florida State's got in this latest commitment. Well, uh, you know, I am, you know, we, I've watched a lot of quarterbacks, and so has our Osceola recruiting analyst, Charles Fishbein, who runs Elite Scouting Services. And, uh, you know, we were both very fired up about this one. Uh, Fish has AJ as he thinks he's the best quarterback in the country. I think he is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, a guy that is really, I mean, listen, he didn't play a lot last year, if any. He was from high school originally from California, ended up at IMG. Uh, but if you watch his tape as a sophomore in high school at California, uh, it's as equally as impressive, if not more so, than the tape that you have on Nico Marco as a junior or Tate Rotomaker or Chubba, How- uh, Chubba Purdy as a senior. So, uh, you know, he's, he's of that quality, uh, but he's very accurate. In, and now the pocket seems to be – fundamentally sound you know he does not throw off his back foot a lot he holds the ball up high he's got a very quick release you see a lot of young quarterbacks who kind of have that loopy release where they start the ball in the middle of their sternum middle of their torso then have a really loopy release he's got that ball up high and tight he he shows the ability to lead receivers open and he's got a cannon when he needs to now he is considered a pro style quarterback but uh he can make things happen with his feet when the protection breaks down he's also a kid that's very comfortable when the pocket gets dirty he does not get flustered and when he does get pushed out of the pocket he's always a throw first guy's always got his feet uh, his eyes downfield uh but he can run the ball extremely well and you know, I think this is the best quarterback prospect that Florida State has gotten a commitment from or signed in the three years that I have been working for the Osceola. Pat, is it an observation on my part that's incorrect, or are we seeing a trend now where, I mean, there's some programs out there that don't have any commits or only have one or two commits. I mean, are kids waiting? Is the dead period now opening up June 1 affecting it? I mean, I I just don't see a lot of commitments like maybe I'm expecting this time of year or am I completely off base? No, I mean, I don't, I think that you're going to see that number go up uh, with a lot of schools once the dead period ends, which it does June 1st and kids can get on campus and parents can get on campus more importantly, probably, but uh, certainly having uh, your unofficial visit dates for your underclassmen and being able to start to have official visits for your guys that are going to be seniors in this upcoming football season. Uh, I think you're going to see commitments across the nation start to pick up. Uh, you know, some of this is uh, Keith, in my opinion is, you know, these coaches really want a chance to evaluate these kids in person, something they have not had a chance to do 
uh, since last uh, 2019's football season when they could go to a game. And obviously Florida State's coaching staff at that time was at Memphis. So they have not had a chance uh, to evaluate a prospect in person since they've been here. So I think part of it is, hey, let's get these kids on campus for these camps. Let's see what we like about them once we get them on uh, campus, both physically and personality-wise. So, yes, I think that the dead period has certainly affected the number of guys that are committing around the nation, including at Florida State. So what's going to become of Florida State's other quarterback commit at this point, Nico Markiel? That seems to be the question that's out there, Pat. Well, you know, uh, and it's, it's a logical question, right? You, we live in a, a generation now where we see uh, quarterbacks transfer in and out of programs every year. Uh, it's not every, you know, not every program is going to get commitments from two four-star quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Nico's plan was prior to Duffy's commitment to Florida State, but I do know that he has planned two official visits to West Virginia and Michigan State since Duffy made his announcement of his commitment. Uh, he is still very, you know, based on social media, he is still committed to Florida State based on his Twitter account. He has not said anything otherwise, but, you know, as several old coaches that I know have always told me, if a kid's truly not committed unless he's not taking official visits to other places. And listen, he's not the only one. And I don't blame a kid for taking all five official visits. I do not blame him a bit. Uh, but if, you get, if you're a school that has a chance to get a kid on campus with an official visit, the percentages may not be in your favor, but if you get them on campus, you've got a chance to change his mind. And uh, so, uh, you know, right now there's no reason for us to believe that he is going to change his mind, but it does open your eyes. Uh, that he is planning to take commitments. And, uh, you know, listen, he's a 17-year-old kid, uh, you know, so I'm not reading, you know, too much into it, but, you know, had been very active on social media, interacting with other Florida State recruits, uh, has not been as active since Duffy uh, took, uh, announced his commitment. Could mean something, could mean nothing. <laughs> I did see him on the list. June one. June one opens things up. I mean, there there's going to be a lot of kids on campus in Tallahassee in the month of June, correct? Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, not only are you going to have your guys that are coming up for unofficials and for these camps that they're having, and that they're going to get a lot of kids for these camps based on what we're seeing on social media, kids announcing that they're coming. But they've also got seven official visits for the class of 2022 uh, coming in June. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, between their camps and their official visits, this is going to be in a very important June for the Mike Norvell and his staff. But you've got uh, three guys coming in on June 11th, Omar Graham, uh, the linebacker from Fort Lauderdale, Stranahan High School, E.J. Lightsey, uh, linebacker from Fitzgerald High School in Fitzgerald, Georgia, and Daughtry Richardson, an offensive lineman from Miami Central. Uh, and then, of course, on the 25th, you've got four guys scheduled to come in right now. Terrence Gibbs, a four-star running back from Winter Park, Florida, who did not play in 2020 due to a, uh, an injury. Then you've got two kids from Texas, Jalen Early, who's a really impressive-looking offensive guard out of Duncanville, Texas. He's got a who's who list of offers, but Florida State – has his only scheduled official visit right now. Uh, so, you know, they're right in the thick of things with Texas, Texas A&M, Alabama, Auburn, Ohio State, you name it, that kid's got an offer from them. Uh, then Ja'Cory Thomas from Orlando Boone, a three-star athlete. Uh, and then Jarrell Powers, a tight end, who's uh, Jalen Early's teammate. So, you know, it's going to be a very active 
June for this staff. And, uh, you know, you've got to think that they're very excited to get some of these guys on campus, both unofficially and officially, and start building the types of relationships they've been wanting to build with these recruits and these parents. Did I see Marvin Jones Jr.'s name on a list? He said his official visit date for the Miami FSU game this year. Yeah, he will be here. And, you know, listen, I don't know how, you know, back in the old days, used to read a lot into whether you got a kid's last official visit or not. And uh, they are getting Marvin's last official visit. Uh, uh, as far as we know, as far he's scheduled four of his five. And uh, so he will be here that last weekend of the season. And he's also uh, scheduled to go to Ohio State on September 11th, Oklahoma on September 25th, and on Alabama for November 6th. So uh, he will be here uh, for the Miami game. And uh, on November 13th, I believe, uh, is what it's scheduled for. And uh, so it's good to have his last one. If that's the only four he's taken. Hey, Pat, let me – so two things here. One, your your father was coaching his father, right? Yes. yes. So, so, I mean, we all remember Marvin on the field. And as a side note, I think that uh, maybe we get with Jason Dennard and, like, the they should put a, a little poster on everybody's seat in the stadium of Marvin just leveling Larry Jones uh, on that November 13th game, just coincidentally while Marvin Jones Jr. is in attendance, right? I mean, put yeah, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a bad – it might not be a bad time to retire his jersey again. <laughs> or <laughs> unretire his jersey and literally take it off whoever's wearing it and offer it to Jr. Yeah, yeah, so there's, there's some potential there. Here's what I was going to ask you, though. I mean, uh, so we all can relate to the highlights of Marvin on the field. Do you have any particular favorite Marvin story, either that you recall or that your dad shared with you, anything like that? Uh, probably my favorite story uh, uh, is 1991 season, the 1992 Cotton Bowl. Uh, Marvin and I, we were out separately with different groups of players and people. But uh, Marvin missed curfew. And uh, I think he actually, and he'll have to verify this, I think he missed practice that morning. And of course, uh, they practice in the morning for bowls. And I got a knock on my door as soon as practice, what was around the end of practice time. And it was my father. And he goes, I need you to come with me. And uh, he goes, I got something you need to do and something I need you to help me with. And so he had gone and gotten Marvin up from his hotel room and gotten me out of my hotel room and both knew that we had probably overserved ourselves the night before. And they, at the hotel in Dallas, they had an indoor track. And so he had a set number of laps that we were going to have to run around the indoor track. And to this day, I still do not know why I had to run with Marvin Jones. I was not on the team. I was a college kid having a bowl experience. <laughs> and uh, so for 45 minutes, Marvin Jones and I chased my dad around the indoor track at the Dallas Hotel the team was staying at to sweat the alcohol out of our system. Well, that just goes to show you that uh, things had changed because by the time the 99 season had rolled around and Florida State was in New Orleans, uh, international rules had come into play. So, therefore, Sebastian Janikowski didn't have that problem. Yeah, well, uh, I, I don't recall many people getting in trouble at the uh, – Sugar bowls I went to when dad was on staff, but I'll never forget that cotton bowl for that experience. That's for sure. 
lucky for you, we didn't have cell phones then. Otherwise, that video would still be viral on the web right now. Well, I still mention it to Marvin every now and then. And he's like, he'll like, don't tell anybody that story. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably looking for a shade tree in that Dallas hotel to sit down, right? Uh, we both were. <laughs> neither one of us were in shape for a long run. I can assure you that. <laughs> Talking with our Osceola insider, Patrick Burnham. Hey, Pat, the NFL draft last week, and the big story from, Flor- from a Florida State point of view is the guys who didn't get drafted. I, I, since we're talking recruiting, I, I want to paint it this way. And this is not on Coach Norvell or the current staff, but if you look at the last five or six years, there, there's been several five-star guys that have come to Florida State, and ha- it, they're, they're not in the league. I mean, whether it's Kalen Laburn or Levante Taylor, or now you got – well, I guess they're in the league in terms of Marvin Wilson as an undrafted free agent, Tavares McFadden. Really what I'm getting at, uh, is there any concern of how that would translate to the recruiting trail that you're seeing guys coming in highly decorated, but that's not how they're going out? Well, you know, I mean, I think recruiting similar to the NFL draft is an exact science. I mean, you're, you know, there are five first round quarterbacks drafted in this particular draft. Uh, I don't think all five of them are going to be in superstars. Right. I mean, and the same thing happens with college football recruiting. You know, you've got so many number of five stars, so many number of four stars, depending on what service you follow. Uh, You know, Sometimes the game does not translate from high school to college. Uh, sometimes the game doesn't translate from college to pro. Uh, so, you, you know, what you do at one level is no uh, – doesn't mean you're going to duplicate that as you move up. I mean, it does get progressively harder. Uh, you know, I can only – you know, I was a, a – above average high school football player but when I got to my little division one double a school Sanford I struggled uh you know I you know I didn't and so and so those things do happen uh but you know guys just develop differently some guys you get to college and they've they're near they've nearly tapped out their potential then you get another set of guys who haven't even touched the surface of their potential so and guys develop differently I mean some guys are more physically mature coming out of high school as a senior and some guys don't really physically mature until they're sophomores in college. So it is an exact science, but, uh, you know, I was not overly surprised at the results from the uh, FSU guys in the draft. That's for sure. Pat, one last little thing. Uh, we, we haven't really talked about it, but uh, with coach Shanahan coming on board as a, as an analyst and now the recent uh, graduate assistant with South Florida ties, I think Coach Norvell has sent a clear picture that, you know, southern part of the state is going to be a focus for recruiting. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, they hired the G, and I, I don't I don't know the uh, name of the young man they hired yesterday as a GA, but obviously Randy played at Miami, coached at Miami, is from Miami, uh, has always recruited Miami no matter wherever he has been as a college coach. And then you got Savage Joseph, who played for us when I was at USF has coached at Miami Central, among other places, down in South Florida as a kid that is from South Florida. So certainly uh, they are going to go in and uh, try to be a thorn in Miami's side. And plus there's uh, so many football players down there. Even if Miami keeps a couple of the stars, uh, there's still plenty of kids with uh, huge uh, big-time ability that Florida State can recruit. Hey, Pat, Coach Norvell and his staff are in the middle of these youth camps now that I think they're taking to 11 cities around the state, which is certainly great goodwill for the community. But am I understanding right? Is he is he bringing the whole staff with them? And even though this isn't recruiting because you're talking eighth grade and and younger, 
obviously if an eighth grader stands out, you know, you're going to make a note to go back and look at them as a ninth grader or whenever you can technically look at them. But, but beyond that, I'm wondering, I mean, they, they can't be visiting uh, kids down there, but are they, are they making this strategic and going from high school to high school to meet with coaching staffs during the day before they do these clinics or, or what else have they added to this? You know, I, I, I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with the high school. I don't think they can go on campus in June. So I don't think the coaches can actually go yeah. into a high school. Uh, and even though it's a dead period, it's not an, it's not a, I don't think it's a period where and I, I could be wrong with that, but I don't think I am. So, I mean, I think a high school coach could show up at the practice at the youth camp. I think a high school recruit could show up. I don't know. I don't know. Now when we, when we had our practices, off campus at Dodger Town at USF, if a prospect came because it was not an evaluation period, we couldn't talk to them, but they could attend the practice. Uh, but yes, I think, you know, obviously they, I know this sounds crazy to say, uh, but they have actually offered eighth graders uh, this year. So, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I've talked about it because, you know, I think it's a very selfless act for Coach Norvell and his staff to do. They could be here watching tape, uh, but, you know, they're going to be out on the road in May uh, building, you know, getting to know the FSU fan base. I think it does a lot more for FSU as a program than it does for them individually as coaches. But certainly, uh, you know, there's they're going to probably identify some eighth graders they want to keep an eye on, but I don't think that's the uh, the, the big reason behind it. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, he's going to build support for the program and, uh, you know, create a lot of new fans and uh, re-secure a lot that uh, may have kind of moved away from the program over the recent struggles. Are there other staffs that do this? You know, uh, I don't know about a lot of them that have done traveling youth camps. Now, I remember when Willie Taggart uh, replaced us at South Florida when uh, Skip was let go that first year. He did some high school camps around the state. He went to uh, Panama City and to Jacksonville and then uh, South Florida. So I don't think I've ever seen a – youth camp like this where they go from major city to major city but certainly you've seen high school uh camps uh, done by colleges this way yeah it certainly seems unique and uh, you're right I think it is it's more about goodwill no question and uh good for coach Norvell and his staff all right Pat we appreciate it folks you uh, subscribe to the Osceola Pat's got a fresh column up there now that uh, goes into deeper detail about the recruiting tidbits some of which he shared with us but uh, be well Pat all right guys have a great one Sounds good. We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles as we finish things up. Keith, uh, always good to catch up with Patrick Burnham. Uh, who certainly knows much more about recruiting uh, than than you and I. Well, what we know about recruiting is that uh, we know past. How many times do we say about say this, Keith? Let, let me see in a game. Yeah, and then, so and then we I'll know put my stars on you. About recruiting, <laughs> I thought that story about Marvin and he were was very interesting. Um, there's all kinds of stories like that that you know become funny. You know, 20 years after the fact or 30 years after the fact. 
that uh, coaches just are scared to death, and particularly now with social media and, as you mentioned, camera phones and that type of thing, that, you know, we, we forget that, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a New Year's Bowl, but, you know, these kids are 20 and 21 years old, and, and, and you know, they still do kid things. And uh, fortunately, uh, that one's old enough that it's funny as opposed to something that would be happened recently that you would, you know, go just roll your eyes over. We appreciate Pat joining us and, and adding that. Yeah, the statute of limitations is up, so he can share that story now. Exactly. Although I'm pretty sure when Marvin hears this, Pat may get a text or a call. <laughs> Let's go back to, uh, well, anything else from Pat's conversation before I bounce? Well, I just think it's interesting, uh, you know, those those youth camps, um, you know, what limited interaction you can have, you know, if you can still text or if you can still make phone calls, then, you know, if you're Coach Norvell and you're in Orlando and there are four prospects that you technically can't talk to but you can still communicate with, you know, you can say come by and watch practice, pay attention to how Coach so-and-so does something, make sure you look at this. Uh, I mean, you can continue to reinforce that relationship. Um, and, and I think that is an, a small aspect of what they'll hope to accomplish. And then obviously during June, when you can have them up uh, as sophomores and juniors and that type of thing, you know, that that's a true evaluation time. And I'm told, you may know better than I, but I'm told that FSU is partnering with some couple of dozen of maybe smaller schools I mean, they're expecting, you know, this is not going to be dozens of kids. This is going to be hundreds of kids. Yeah, the, well, and staff. Yeah, 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 it's a, it's a mega camp. Uh, but going back to the youth clinics, uh, my son is going to the one in Tallahassee. So I don't know if Norvell wants to offer a fourth grader, but, you know, the opportunity will be there if, uh, if Nolan has a good day at the, at the youth clinic. You know what I'm saying? I'm not holding moving, my breath. I'm not holding my breath. Along, moving along. <laughs> <laughs> back back to baseball and that conversation with uh, with Jimmy Bellinger. That's the first time I've talked with him. Uh, I'm not around the baseball program the way I used to be, but uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the noticeable difference with FSU's pitching staff is it used to be there was one guy who was touching low 90s and a lot of guys that were in the mid 80s. And now you got arm after arm after arm that's mid nineties at, you know, and, and or, or better. So that that's been a noticeable difference. Uh, going back to the, uh, the the Notre Dame story I was sharing earlier about Link Jarrett, uh, just to finish this up. So I don't know that Link had ever done any broadcasting before, and uh, he did the Super Regional. He might have done a game or two, but bottom line, I think it was the first game he broadcast, whether or not it was the Super Regional against Notre Dame or another game. We're standing there shooting the on-camera portion, a.k.a. the stand-up, and we're along the third baseline, and – somebody's taken infield Now, normally the throws are going to first, but at this point they're throwing to third. And so a ball gets past the third baseman and literally makes a beeline uh, for link while we're recording and, and link just a baseball guy sees it and just kicks it out of the way with his right foot and doesn't miss a beat while he's talking on the standup, uh, you know, in his first live broadcast <laughs> and we don't even have to redo it and we just finish it, which, Listeners, that may sound like no big deal, but a lot of times if you're breaking somebody new in, you're on take 16 of doing that little recording part, especially if a baseball comes through and Link just whatever. And he just kept going and he was good and solid. And 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe he did a lot more broadcasting. I don't recall, but you could just tell when it, when when baseball is in somebody's blood that much, the broadcasting isn't going to suffice. They want to get back into the coaching. So not surprising at all to me that his career is elevated the way it has. And you know, regardless of whether you like or dislike Notre Dame, you know they're a national brand and they evoke a response. Uh, you've got to be impressed with what he's done up there because you just don't see. And I consider Notre Dame a true northern school because Chicago's cold for about seven months out of the year. And for him to go in there as early as he's been in there and achieve the type of success that he's had, I mean, this is this is a quality ball club, as you mentioned previously. And at least one of the polls, they're number two in the country. And uh, he's done that in a very relative short period of time. So baseball at Notre Dame, uh, 6, 7, and noon. I, I will say related to FSU, Keith, I don't feel uh, much better than I felt at any point this season based on not sweeping the series with Troy. Now, they have been winning series, and that pitching staff gives them a chance to win every series. But it's still that, that lineup, it's not even fair to call it top-heavy. It's about too heavy, and everything after that is a struggle unless suddenly uh, some folks get, get hot. Well, let's go with the half full. They won Sunday. They have been struggling on Sunday, so we'll, we'll go with that as a positive. All right, there you go again, calling me out for being half empty. Busy weekend, as I mentioned, just to catch you up. The women's tennis team is hosting uh, regional play this weekend. They're the number one seed in the region, number seven overall seed in the NCAA tourney, so they play 4 o'clock Friday against Alabama State. The Spiker Center will be at 50% capacity, so uh, there's a ticket opportunity there if you want to go watch them play. Uh, assuming they win, they'll get Auburn or Oklahoma State to advance on into the uh, the next round. Uh, soccer is has played today, but uh, we we're recording this before that game, so I can't give you an update there. But hopefully, Mark Krikorian and company beat Penn State. Uh, men's golf is hosting the NCAA regionals in a couple of weeks at the Seminole Legacy Golf Club, and that field was unveiled today. Softball is at uh, Pitt this weekend, and women's golf uh, starts regional play Monday at Louisville. So told you there's a lot going on, Keith. Thank you for doing the research and being uh, very articulate in uh, talking about those. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited after we had the chance to visit with Coach K, our Coach K, Florida State's Coach K, about the, uh, the, soccer, uh, the soccer team. I, I think this is, this is going to be another special year. Let's hope so for this squad. I hope you're right. One thing that's interesting on the softball front is we finish up Florida State, you know, they it's sort of like the sun rising and setting every day. FSU winning softball championships, regular season or tournament. FSU is actually not in first place in the ACC right now in softball by percentage points. They're behind Clemson, who has risen to prominence. Now, Florida State's the higher ranked team, but FSU uh, at Pitt for four this weekend and Clemson at Syracuse. Florida State's going to need to uh, probably sweep and hope Clemson stubs its toe. I haven't done the math to, to get another ACC championship there or regular season championship. Well, the one thing we do know is when Lonnie and those ladies get into postseason, uh, we talk about finding another gear if you're a sprinter or a wide receiver. Uh, they do find another gear. This is a tournament uh, savvy, a tournament season team. Uh, and so just – just get there at a reasonable level, and I like their chances. All right, Keith, I think we have done uh, the extent of damage we can do this week. Would you agree? Yes, and uh, I, I liken it to the fact that what little bit of golf I play these days, the word has gotten out. When I show up in the golf pro shop, 
Summerbrook, I'm sure, is going to be the same way. When I show up in the pro shop and, and want to play around, they make me put up a security deposit. I just find that very offensive. Well, it just means that uh, their scouting is good. It's accurate. And and you're a risk management guy, so you should be able to relate to, to them taking good chances. I, I didn't say they were wrong. I just said I didn't like it. <laughs> He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Control.